Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. This is episode 148 with A.K. Payne. They have a play that's currently up. It's a co-production between National Black Theater and Rattlestick Theater. Runs through March 5th. The play is called Amani. It, as you will hear, sounds absolutely incredible. And we just had a really great conversation about where narratives come from and how how do we interrogate those narratives and dismantle them, be kind to ourselves and others, breathe, create space for more awesomeness to come um, in this theatrical world and this world at large. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 148 with A.K. Payne. I am so excited to welcome the powerhouse playwright to the podcast, A.K. Payne. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to talk about this play and yeah, to be in conversation with you. Yes, let's get into it. So Amani is running through March 6th, co-production with National Black Theater and Rattlestick Theater, correct? Yes. So tell me how... How did this play come to you? How fast did it enter out into the world and uh, race forward to see audience members? <laughs> yeah, um, well, I began this play in 2019 um, in like right before the pandemic began. Um, and I was sort of thinking a lot about Freedom Dreams. One of the books that's a huge inspiration for this play is Robin D.G. Kelly's uh, Freedom Dreams and the Black Radical Imagination. Um, and I was reading that and just thinking a lot about like the ways that Black folks have imagined futures, imagined liberation, um, imagined home in the absence of home. Um, and I was also just in a very transitory moment in my own life. I moved to my first own apartment around that time um, and just was like crafting space for myself. And this play kind of came out of that journey. Like, what does it mean for this um, Black child to be imagining the world, uh, to be imagining the future and then to like craft her own outer space? Um, holding the the weight and the history of her family's dreams, um, as well as her own visions of the future. Um, so that's kind of where it came from. Uh, I began in like a writing workshop in my MFA program, one of our prompts for class, and it just kind of bloomed from there. I've been working on it for the last four years, kind of at a standstill during COVID. Um, but yeah, just have kind of been like dreaming into it for years now. I love that. Do you have a are you a sit down at, every, you know, the same time every kind of day playwright or does it sort of when inspiration strikes and there, there's a deadline to be met? Yeah, I'm still finding my practice. It's really a daily, you know, thing. And I think different plays ask for different processes. I've been learning that and trying to allow myself more grace uh, in that because I think that I have this idea that I should be the kind of playwright um, who writes every single day. Uh, but that's not quite like how my practice works. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to like allow myself to to be in process, whatever the play needs. There was one play I was working on during the pandemic that was kind of just like whatever there were scenes that came out one day and another day there would be no scenes. And I just kind of like let it flow uh, to be, you know, whatever it needed to be. So trying to listen to the stories more lately. That resonates with me a lot. I mean, sometimes it's just the content dictates what what it needs or, or asks gently for what it needs, depending on what kind of content it is. Right. <laughs> 
absolutely. Yeah. This play I was working on that I just mentioned, it was, um, takes place on a ship. Uh, it's this group of people who are trying to reach the door of no return in Ghana. And the form itself is very like fluid. It's like all these different vignettes and stories of these people on this boat. Um, and I think that like, I spent a lot of time sitting near the ocean writing and I think the form began to reflect that because it was, I mean, yeah, the world we were living in was so, um, so chaotic and so uncertain. And so the play itself began to reflect and, and to, to reflect that need for the, for the world to not be linear. Um, yeah. That's just like that, that last line, the need for the world not to be linear is like, kind of like punched my heart a little bit <laughs> in like the best way. Mm -hmm. uh, so talk me through, you're writing this in a, you're writing Imani in a, a writing workshop for your MFA. What happens next? I mean, sort of coasts during COVID, but when did you know it was ready for other eyes to be on it, for it to get a workshop or, you know, get more on its feet from the page? Um. Well, I began like sharing it with folks pretty soon after I had the first draft, which was like around 2019. I had like a little reading um, in my apartment uh, and just like with some friends and some pizza. <laughs> um, and that was the first time yeah. that I ever. <laughs> and then I um, just was sharing it with like different people and um, just talking about the ideas in it uh, whenever whenever the pandemic hit. So that was kind of its first iteration that that reading um, with my community that I felt like was so intrinsic to how I thought about uh, the world of the play. Um, yeah, and then I, I had a few workshops um, in 2020, what year are we in right now? It's 2023 and <laughs> 2021. I had a few workshops of the play with uh, a friend of mine, an incredible collaborator named Christina um, Angelis. Um, and I had a few workshops with her and with uh, Roundabout Theater Company and MTC and then um, begin working on it with MBT and with Rattlestick. And it's been like such a joy to like bring it to this community. I love that. And tell me more about production process. Did you, were you sitting in a lot and do you like being hands-on on casting in terms of like going beyond what the character description might be when you're having such a important production like this, you know, first one? Um, yeah. I mean, I was definitely involved in the casting process. I mean, I think that I'm really excited by uh, this play's invitation to invite folks of a range of gender identities and expressions into its world. And so we thought a lot about that um, in, in thinking through the kind of world we wanted to create for this play. Um, and so I was really a part of that process and like really thinking through what it meant to um, show an expanse of Black identity uh, in a myriad of different ways um, so that like we can sort of lean into the fact that like Blackness is not a monolith. Um, and that was really a beautiful part of like the process for me in terms of casting. And it was, I mean, it's very challenging as I'm sure you're aware. Like I, I've never yeah. gone through a process this and like, and I like this before and it was very hard. Um, but I think like it was really beautiful because of the support systems that were here with MBT, like Josiah is an incredible director and um, laid, created so much space for that process. And MBT was so supportive and um, I'm so excited for the cast and, and this group. It's such an incredible group of artists um, working on this play. Can you talk a little bit more about how I love that when, because I think that in my opinion, folks who are maybe further, further down their theatrical path can be kind of rigid in terms of interpreting character descriptions. And so I like to sort of, when I see exciting work like this, I like to sort of pull on threads a little bit. Um, so would you say that in the play, the characters that are portrayed by gender expansive actors are specifically described as such, or was that a unique lens that you sort of used to open up casting for this? 
So um, I've been on like my own journey around like how I think about gender in my own body and in my own life. And so I think the character descriptions have like come to reflect that desire for spaciousness, um, that desire for like freedom in, in terms of how, um, how, how, how I'm able to show up in space and how these characters are able to show up in space. Um, so for example, uh, the character of Imani, uh, her character description is uh, a black girl becoming grown. And, and there's this idea um, also embedded in her character description um, of the idea of like this woman, this person can be uh, a black woman or a non-binary person, and they can also be a person who is trying to find their own language for um, how gender lives in their body. Something that I've been like trying to like lean more into and thinking about um, English as a prison in and of itself. Um, English is something that um, has not is like has not been able to hold the expanse that is black life as something that is like not necessarily a part of um or or, or was given to us as opposed to um right, right. Yeah, innate within us um so thinking about language uh as like insufficient uh, at the end of the day for actually describing the expanse of gender identities um that we all hold um and that i i myself hold and so yeah the character descriptions uh all of them have that kind of addendum to them, particularly Amani, Deja, and Kofa, um, allow space for the actors to be Black women, non-binary folks, um, and or people who are trying to find what, trying to find language for what gender means in their own body, um, and acknowledging that English is this tongue's first prison is kind of how I phrased it in the, in the play. I love, will you say that again? That's so powerful. Yeah, I can actually, I can read it if you would like, let me just bring it I up. I would love to, if you're, if you're down, I think that people forget that part of history, right? Like it's just, it's, I think it's really, it deserves another listening for the, for our listeners. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So this is Amani's character description. And part of this is also applicable to Kofa and Deja, to the other characters in the play. But it says a black girl becoming grown, perhaps a woman dreaming towards more true language. This actor may identify as non-binary and, or as a black woman. This actor also may just be themselves i.e. this actor may refuse to subscribe to any label about their body and instead may simply wish to breathe with the deep awareness of gender as an infinite spectrum and English as this tongue's first prison. Wow. That's so great. (laughs) That's so great. I mean, that's just, that fires me up as a theater maker, right? Because you just, that's the power that y'all have as playwrights, right? To put it, Mm -hmm. to make it so... Right. And I've been thinking a lot about like, how can I hold space like for for myself and all the things that I'm like wrestling with around gender to exist in these worlds? And how can I make space through that for community to be a part of these worlds? So I was I was hoping to sort of move towards specificity and also spaciousness um, and how I'm thinking about these characters. Absolutely. I just wish I wish there were I, I, I nerd out on character descriptions like these. And I just wish that I love the other part of it where it's it's not only inviting specific you know identifiers in right like a black woman or a non-binary person but inviting people to be okay with uncertainty and discovery and not having that specific label to put on their gender yet and maybe and there are some of us who maybe will never put find that you know specific label because as you said language is very limited right Mm -hmm. Sometimes we yeah. need to create our own language when it comes to our own language or our, our own worlds, or in your case, perhaps our own universes. Um, mm-hmm. um, I love this. Can you talk me through more of the decision to the image of building a spaceship is so powerful for me. How did mm-hmm. that, how soon did that come into the process? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was an early, an early, early thing. Um, the assignment that this play kind of blossomed from was an assignment in which we were asked to write a manifesto, a character naming a manifesto. And the manifesto for that I was writing was um, his father landing on the moon, uh, who was who was declaring what the moon meant for his child. Um, and yeah, the spaceship kind of bloomed from there. Um, I actually, so my own father is a, is a carpenter, um, and I grew up building, building with him and like building, like working on houses, working on porches, like spending summers doing that. Um, and I was thinking a lot about the kind of possibility that was like really deeply rooted in my childhood, the kind of like expansiveness my, my parents encouraged for me, my mom and my dad. And so, um, I think a lot about that and about, uh, the spaceship kind of bloomed from there when I was thinking about like a, a metaphor, uh, well, it's a metaphor for me, but also really real for these characters. Um, but the metaphor of like, of space, of like li literally taking up space, um, going to space, dreams that Black parents often have uh, for their children that um, sometimes get shaken up by like the systems and constraints of this world and often get shaken up by them. Um, so that's kind of where it came from. I think the, the sort of yoking of like, like the, the farthest we can possibly imagine to go, um, it's inspired by my parents' dreams for me, and also the um, the actual labor of building a house or building a porch that I did with my dad when I was growing up. Yeah, there's something there's there's something really personal and intimate about building something with someone, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, are you the kind of playwright who, are you writing for a specific audience? Are you hoping that your audience is getting a specific experience from the play or are you not are you just sort of letting it be, letting the story be there for them to experience as they need to yeah that's a great question um I think it's kind of a combination of a lot of different things um I am always thinking about um well there was okay I'll take this back a little bit because there was, was a talk I heard with Dominique Morris so a few years ago that I was so inspired by and she said I'm always thinking about in the audience, I'm paraphrasing, but she said something along the lines of I'm always thinking about in the audience um, myself and like what it would mean for the versions of me who have existed over time to be in this audience and how can I tend to 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 them and to her. Um, and I think a lot about like my younger self seeing this play and thinking about um, what it means to like grow up and to be asking questions about where I belong um, and where I'm going um, is a big part of things. I also think that um, I'm always, in this play in particular, is writing for an audience that is queer, um, is writing for an audience that is Black, um, it's writing for an audience that has been affected by the prison industrial complex and the new Jim Crow. Um, it's writing for, yeah, just all of those audiences combined, um, folks who are exploring what space looks like. Um, and also, I think folks who are navigating grief and thinking about mourning, um, thinking about how we tend to each other and care for each other and grow gardens in the midst of mourning. Um, so I would say that. Uh, I also think that like there's so many intersections to our identities. So I never uh, want to say that the play isn't for um, somebody who doesn't necessarily fit into either of those boxes. So I'm excited for the play to be for um, whoever it resonates with, if that makes sense. Um, and uh, yeah, to, to hold space, which is literally the project of the work. Absolutely. Thank you. And so we'll make sure that we have the link in our episode description, but y'all run through March 6th. It's a co-production between the National Black Theater, Rattlestick Theater, um, and super awesome. Thank you for starting the conversation with that. 
I want to quote you to you, if that's mm-hmm. not too weird. Yeah. Uh, but I loved on your website, you said that your plays love on and engage Black lives and languages beyond the confines of linear time to find, remember stories that might create conditions for our collective liberations. That is as strong of an artist statement, I feel, or part of an artist statement, I feel, as I've ever read in my life. So can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so I think, like, for me, my work is always interested in in time as a um as something to be to be to be to be looked at uh, and to be engaged I think I've been like contending a lot with like past present and future because I think it's like also all time like it's not even like the boxes of like this is the past this is the present this is the future but really allowing us to live in the reality that like the past is weighing on the present the past is present all the time um and so that's a big part of how I think about work um I uh my undergraduate degree is in English and African American studies, and um, I'm really passionate about Black history. Some of my earliest memories growing up are me learning about the histories of Black people um, in this country in particular, um, and trying to uh, think about how how I exist in relationship to those histories. And so, yeah, I, I think I think a lot of my work has has tied those themes together. Um, and I've and I've tried to sort of uh, bend time in terms of how I create story um, and create narrative. Yeah, and I think they're all sort of striving towards liberation or striving towards a place where we might um, breathe more easily uh, or seek freedom or discover the conditions for freedom. I think that's like the key part of that statement for me is um, what are the conditions that that make freedom possible? What are the actual things that we need? The tools that we need. Um, National Black Theater has. Pr- uh, created this exhibit around Amani in the in the hallway when you come in, um, where they ask folks, "What is your plan for liberation?" Um, and I think a lot about that in my work and in my practice. That um, my hope is that my plays are creating blueprints um, in which we can imagine conditions uh, for our liberations, um, and really like leaning into the idea that like. Black liberation, like if Black liberation were to happen, it would it would create space for liberation for all people. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where my artist statement comes from and, and, and my own uh, passion and work around like Black history and Black freedom. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Did you know, when did you know that you were a writer? Mm, yeah, I think like very, very early on. Um, I remember writing a poem when I was like in like elementary school, I used to like take dance classes back where I'm from in Pittsburgh. Um, and I like, after dance class, I would sit and write poems. <laughs> um, and I wrote a poem I shared with my mom. I remember that um, when I was super young. And I went to a um, arts middle school and high school in Pittsburgh, a public arts magnet school uh, called Kappa. Um, it's also the alma mater of like Billy Porter and my mother and lots of really, really wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I grew up writing there, um, and I was a writing major and a theater major for a period of time. Um, and I saw my first play when I was in seventh grade. Uh, City Theater in Pittsburgh has a young playwrights festival, and they do um, like uh, they they like will produce like one act plays. And I remember I was in like eighth grade, and I got to see it. I was I wrote it in seventh grade, and then I had the production in eighth grade, and I was like so enamored with this idea that something that I had written alone and written in solitude like was able to create community um, and create collaboration and create ripples and waves um, in a way that 
as an only child, I was always like in my own little solitary corner writing or reading. Um, but there was this this space uh, that was afforded from writing for the theater that really opened up for me. Um, and I like was like, I want to be a playwright <laughs> when I was like 12. Um, and this is like kind of a dream come true for me uh, at this point. So, yeah. I love, I'm an only child too. It's such a unique experience. <laughs> it, is, it is. It's very yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like finding yourself over and over again when you accidentally run into other only children. Do yes. you think we have more of do were you the see I was the only I was an only child who really wanted siblings, right? Mm-hmm. Who is like really aggressively almost asking for siblings and that didn't happen. And so theater, I think, sort of became that family for me. Does that is that a statement that resonates with you at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like, I don't know if I had the awareness that I wanted siblings when I was younger. Like I was like very like spoiled and stuff. So I was like, I just want to be this attention. But I think like, um, like getting older and like going to college and stuff like that. And um, I don't know, like theater has been the ways that I've survived, honestly, in, in imagining community um, and in trying to like find community. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I think it's particularly, um, I went to Yale for undergrad, which is like a very difficult experience. Um, and yeah. theater was literally the, the way that I, that I navigated that space. Um, the, we, we had a black theater ensemble, had a heritage theater ensemble and like me and my friends just like made stuff and made our own spaces and, um, really intentionally and radically, you know, created conditions in which we could breathe, uh, in a space that, that was not intending that to be the case. Um, so yeah. If you don't mind talking about that more, I don't know if there's parallel any parallels between that space and working on Amani, but it's interesting to me to talk to folks when they are able to breathe. I love the language that you're using in terms of when we collaborate in certain spaces with folks who have the same or similar lived experiences, there's a certain there's an ease. It's it's this certain thing that you almost can't even put into words. Mm-hmm. Um do you want, can you talk about this inexplicable thing that happens in certain spaces? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I felt it like so, so often in this rehearsal room um, under the, like with the leadership of Josiah, with this community that we've put together with Nisi Aya, who's the dramaturg. Um, there's like just this, uh, this deep sense of care and of witnessing. Like there's been so many moments where like folks will just check in on me. You know what I mean? Cause this play is like so personal and like folks, are able to see and witness in a way that is is not like from outside of it. It's like from an awareness of like the collective struggle that like Black life has been entangled with for so long um, in the world and, and in this country. Um, and yeah, I just think there's like this this unspoken language, this this way of of speaking and of witnessing that um, transcends language itself. Um, yeah, I don't know if <laughs> I mean it literally I don't have that many words for it, but there's this uh this this like sense of home, this sense of like of of community uh that feels so warm. There's a lot of laughter too. I think that's a big part of it. That like even in the midst of like uh there's this famous theorist I love who like talks about anti-blackness as the weather, um, Christina Sharp. And like the the ability to to know that very deeply, to know that like there's anti-blackness everywhere, um, and also to be present with each other, um, and to to hold space for laughter, for joy, for pretend, for play, um, is like such a radical and and beautiful thing. Um, we're not we're not ignoring the facts of that, and also we are with each other in real time. 
that's so powerful. And it's something that I, you know, I wish for all theater artists, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that we get to experience those truly, and I don't know, I was about to say truly safe spaces. And I don't know if safe is the word. I mean, I think in another interview that I did, someone called it like a space in which they could truly be brave, Mm -hmm. right? Because they Mm -hmm. knew that they would they chose the they chose to describe it as a brave space instead of a safe space because they felt more empowered to make stronger decisions. It, it gave it gave them the permission to fail, is what I'm saying. Is is I think a better synopsis of it because I think in our industry we have this. <clears throat> I mean, it's natural to have an aversion to the word failure, right? But failure or trying to do something means that you're you're learning, right? And I think mm-hmm. there's so much pressure on us as theater artists to get it right, you know, quote unquote, right the first time. Yes. Yeah. And 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 that and that space to to fall and to fail and to know that like like you as a person, you as an artist are still going to be held. Um, I think is such a radical thing um in space. So yeah. You talk mm-hmm. a little I love that your friends are it, it it heartens me that your friends are checking up on you. Um, mm-hmm. When you do deeply personal work, do you have sort of a relax and rejuvenation protocol that you use to sort of come back to yourself? I am, I am still finding it. Yeah, <laughs> It's like day by day practice. Um, I think I've been like, cause I mean, this is my first ever like preview process. So that, I mean, that even feels so vulnerable cause we're in the midst of that right now. And it's been like a whirlwind of like the idea of, of, I mean, even what you were just saying of like, um, like there are things that we, you know, that people like we people we did shows like knowing that that we, there are still things we're working on, which is like such a vulnerable thing to like be actively working and people witnessing that. Um, and it's so exciting too, but it's uh, it's very scary. Um, and I think like going home after that, like trying to find different rituals that that helped me to ground in a center. Um, I got a weighted blanket during this process. Yes. <laughs> One thing. We love, um, we love a weighted, we love a weighted blanket. Yes. It's so helpful. Uh, I have a dog, so he's been very helpful. Um, but like just community, trying to like talk to my friends, like check in with people who have known me since I was really young and like know like the, where the story comes from, that it's like, it is, it is very much, you know, a fictional story, a rendering of something, but there is a deep root for me. Um, and so talking to people who know that is really restoring like my partner and my like close friends. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, am a yoga teacher as well. And so I, I spend a lot of time like thinking about like how to be in my body. And I, it's harder for me to like, um, to be, to, to be working on this work when I'm not like, just thinking about how it affects my body um, and thinking about like, where I'm feeling that and how I'm feeling that. So um, whenever I've actually uh, been able to get there, I've been going to yoga classes to help me sort of ground in space um, and like sort of delving deeper into my own practice as a teacher. So, yeah. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful juxtaposition. I, I like the idea of a the calming insularness of a yoga studio versus the expansiveness of a theater. Like they feel like polar opposites in terms of the way they make my body feel to be in those spaces. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so much like overstimulation in theater, which is part of it and beautiful. And also I just need space to be internal sometimes. Yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not to not worry what our face is doing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. I'm going to quote another little bit of your bio back to you. Uh, now we're moving into the bio section. Um, talking about coming from a great lim- lineage of Black women storytellers and living room activists. 
That was like mm-hmm. another like piece that like I pulled out from your website. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I think I think both things are true. So, so that I think it's actually living room archivists, um, but I think they're also activists. I think both things are are present there. Um, and I think like what I'm what I wanted to highlight in my bio there is that like I've been on this journey of sort of uh, looking at my family's history um, and looking at their, um, their 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 roots and 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 finding all these pictures uh, and things of like my great grandmother and my grandmother and um, all of these people who and I and and I, and I mentioned archivists there because I um, I think there's something about people like something about the taking of a photograph or the remembering of a story um, that, uh, and, 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 and the retelling of it or the like putting of a photograph in an album that is imagining a future, that is imagining someone picking up that album and looking at the picture in the future. Mm-hmm. And sheer number of photographs that I've found of my family, like really just uh, speaks to me of the ways in which they were imagining futures. Uh, they were imagining um homelands they were imagining um just a a, a center and a, and a peace and a and a community um and so i really think about my work uh living in that lineage my grandmother who i'm named after her name was uh, also alexis my first name is alexis um she apparently talked so much i never got to meet her but she would like tell stories for like hours and hours and hours um and so i think a lot about that and about like how all that I am, all who I am is like tied up in like, and uh, tied up in and also like I'm paving my own path. I'm like naming myself and creating my own freedoms and futures. And also like I am because they are, um, which is a uh, the concept of Ubuntu um, in Swahili. Uh, but like, yeah, just the idea that I'm, that we are, that we are connected, that I am them. Um, and, and I come from their lineage and their work and their storytelling and all of those things. And I apologize for seeing activist instead of archivist but yeah it's kind of like an archivist activist yeah yeah they're true I just love that that image is so delicious for me is like yeah the intentionality of putting a photograph in an album is sort of it's an act of bravery and vulnerability in and of itself right because you're yeah. you're the hope that you're pouring into that that this is going this means something to me hopefully it will mean something to someone else down the line. That's. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of experiences where I've gone to interview or talk to family or, or look at things that were left by family. And there's just like stacks and stacks of pictures or stacks and stacks of like letters that were kept or things like that. And I'm always like, wow, this, this makes so much sense. This, that uh, I'm so passionate about this thing about like tracking histories and remembering and storytelling. And like, it's not just out of nowhere. Like it's it's part of a, a long history of people trying to remember in a place where we were not necessarily meant to remember or to hold each other according mm. to systems and power. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. What I just, can this podcast last forever? It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really wonderful. <laughs> this conversation. It's just really, there's something really satisfying about it. So thank you. Um, <laughs> what's what what else are you working on what's what's next for you I know you're in the thick of it right now but yeah there's a lot going on I um I'm finishing my MFA right now as well um so that's happening I know I read that I was like oh no big deal just like the final semester of the (laughs) MFA while the show is going on yeah and um I have my my thesis coming up so that's a play it's a two-person play called furlough's paradise 
Um, and it's about these two cousins. Um, one of them is on a three-day furlough from prison um, in, in the midst of her mom's death. Um, and these two cousins get to just be together. They just get to hang out um, and, and be together in the midst of grief uh, before Sade, who's the one cousin, goes back to, to jail. Um, and so that's my Carlotta piece that I've been working on. Um, that play kind of like lives in this world that I'm thinking about of like, um, what does it mean to mourn in an intimate space, like with two people in a room, um, for the ways that people like, that we hold each other up through like small intimate interactions um, and like, you know, the small sort of spiraling out to the large um, in the ways that like Adrian Marie Brown talks about it and emergent strategy, like the idea of like, like little actions blooming. Um, so I'm thinking about that a lot in these, these, that play and then another play that I'm working on that is in that same universe um, about a grandmother and a granddaughter in a similar space. And yeah, and then uh, in the world of Amani, there's these like series of plays, this trilogy of plays I'm hoping to work on called like the Black Space plays that are kind of like the supporting characters or the characters that are in the universe of Amani uh, who are not Amani, um, their plays, like what are their stories, what are their lives? So there's Kofa, who is Amani's partner in the, the third act of the play. Um, and there's um, Amani's uh, mother. Um, and so then them having their own plays that are all about Black people imagining space in different ways. Yeah, those are some of the things I'm working on right now. And Yep, just trying to like take things one day at a time and also figure out where I'm going to live next year. <laughs> yeah. That's not a small question. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot happening at once. So just trying to breathe and yeah. Breathing is a good, I mean, breath keeps coming up in this and it's, it's so important. It's so important. Yeah, yeah it's um, so important. Jonathan McCrory, the artistic director of MBT, always like brings in breath to the end of shows, like asks us to sort of ground in space with breath and it. That was really inspiring to me. So, yeah. How do you, pers something that I'm better with it than I have been personally, but I have a lot of my identity tied up in how productive I am in terms <laughs> of like, what is the external output thing I can point to and say, I've not been sitting on my butt. I've been doing that. Is that a balance that you find that you, you're still making for yourself or how does that sit with you? Yeah, I'm definitely still struggling with that. Um, it's so difficult to, like, I think, like, I, I, like, ideologically, I'm super passionate about, like, rest and breath and space and, um, like, just ease and, and, and being able to, like, to trust and to know that, like, I, I am worthy of, of all of those things, regardless of my productivity. And also, like, holding the fact that, like, capitalism is like we're living under it and it's so scary and stressful and like I often don't know how to like hold those contradictory things um because like I, at, at once I'm like I I I don't want to like I'm, I'm not tied to my my productivity and also it's like terrifying because like I'm not I don't come from money those kinds of things like I'm I'm trying to navigate all these like really real systems that I'm against um, so yeah, it, it's something that I'm daily fighting against and like trying to learn how to show myself more and more grace. And it's like really not easy and like allowing myself to, to be in process with it is, is a big thing for me right now. If that makes sense. I don't know if that answers your question. But. No, it totally, it totally does. And a book that, a book that I keep recommending, but have yet to sit down and read, which I really need to is, uh, Devin Price wrote a book called Laziness Does Not Exist. Mm -hmm. Laziness. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Devin Price. Um, and I just love that a lot of your work seems to be about questioning 
in the little time that we've gotten to know each other, it seems to be about questioning assumptions, questioning narratives <laughs> that have just been there forever or seemingly. And it's not really until we get the tools to interrogate those narratives that we're able to try to make narratives of our own and, and change the cultural narrative a bit. Yeah. Um, please, please say smart words. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. That, that sounds, I mean, I'm, I'm super interested in like uh, allowing us to look at things that have been assumed as normal uh, and to look at them differently. There's a segment of Imani that is these like series of men and it's like kind of absurd. And um, the hope in that section is that we are able to to look at toxic masculinity and to look at um, the system of patriarchy like uh, with a critical eye and and to be able to see like how to to, to be able to imagine like how we can we can disrupt that system and that culture. So yeah, I think that's definitely a big thing that I'm thinking a lot about. And also like I think that I'm interested both in how do we how do we destroy the systems that were not built to hold us and also how do we hold infinite abundant space to imagine new ones. Mm. Yes. I realize I can't just hum on a podcast sometimes, but sometimes <laughs> the answers I just want yeah, I want that space for them to live. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What advice do you have for other uh, other playwrights or folks who might feel they have they have that expansiveness within them to create to create a world that might question things, and maybe they've been hesitant to do it, hesitant to open up the la the lap book or or crack open the journal. How do people get started? Yeah, um, I think like kindness is probably one of the first things I would say, like kindness towards oneself. Um, like I'm learning that myself. Like that's one of the biggest hindrances to me actually writing sometimes is like when I'm really hard on myself and I'm really like, oh, like I'm not, I'm not like when I'm, it's actually counterintuitive <laughs> when I'm like, I should be doing this or I haven't done this yet. Or, you know, why am I so behind on this? Like um, sort of letting all of that stuff be what it is and like allowing oneself to be in the present and to just to just sit down in this moment right now um without all the shoulds and the like lack of kindness towards the self um and you know start and i think that's 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 probably what i would offer um is to moving with that love and kindness for oneself one of my favorite my, one of my favorite mentors and 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 people who is like just really nurtured my craft as an artist is uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney, and he's always talking about like, what does it mean to write uh, with the conditions um, of care, uh, with the conditions of support, um, and not from a place of um, of self-deprecation, um, which I think also, which like, yeah, actually holds 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 folks back from from generating, holds me back from generating. I'll say. Hey, that is that that reminds me of there's a there's a survey that's like the in terms of the biggest and not to put something to a binary because I'm non-binary and I don't love that so much, but they're finding that men are afraid of in general being embarrassed or being rejected and women more so fear for safety. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know why that hit me right then when you were talking about that, but I think it, it links back to what we were talking about earlier about having spaces in which we do feel okay failing or at least not being an ex I think there's this weird I don't know when it shifted I'm an elder millennial I'm 37 but mm -hmm. I felt this huge pressure growing up that like you couldn't you had to get it right on the first try and I see this emerging kindness and 
softness, which I don't think is a weak thing at all in, in the younger folks in our, in our, in our industry where they're bringing up questions of like, we don't have to do 10 of 12s. Like we can do eight of 12s or I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but like, we don't have to do things the way that we've been doing them. Like we need to be kinder for ourselves so that we're taking care of ourselves and we're taking care of the work at the same time by taking care of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's something that I've been like, just really so grateful um, to be in community with folks who are thinking about that um, and to be like, just in a time where like that is really present and really like kind of a, a, a zeitgeist of the of this moment. Um, I'm reading like uh, Trisha Hersey, who has the Instagram page, The Nat Ministry, her book right now, Rest is Resistance. Yes, I, yes. Yeah, yeah, just things like that. Um, just like letting, I don't know, just thinking about like rest and 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 quiet and space and like what can bloom from there. Um, I remember when I started working on Amani, actually, um, we, uh, MBT organized for us to be able to like have a weekend in Vermont just to like brainstorm and work and like we got so much done and it was also so restful at the same time that like those things can happen at once. <laughs> and it was so like stunning to me that like we could create work out of a space of ease, out of a space of of just generosity and being in this farmhouse in Vermont. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, I worked I worked for a writer's retreat for a while. And that idea of they would they would call it their radical hospitality of like, we're going to keep, you know, we want to keep every impediment out of your way but writing and like part of the reason part of the way that they did that is to not have uh wi-fi in any of the cottages (laughs) which it was so fascinating to see people have to like detach from the internet and this was i was working there like 10 years ago or so but yeah it radically it radically transformed so much like those kinds of like spaces that are that are about rest and about like existing in a different way. Like I did the uh, the New Harmony project this past summer, which is like so stunning. It's just like these two weeks for people to just write and rest and 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 create stuff. And um, I don't know. I just I think I I love just being like in a retreat kind of space. Like um, and I like love sort of curating spaces for that. And I've been trying to like do more um, just sort of organizing spaces like that with like people that I love and folks in my community. So yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. Leave us with some who are. Who are your rising stars? Who who are you working with right now? Who are you reading? Who are you excited to collaborate with in the future? Yeah, oh my goodness. There's so many people that I'm so excited about and I'm always like nerding out about. Um, my cohort in my MFA program is the best. Um, it's Esperanza Rosales Balcarcel and Rudy Goblin. Um, and they are incredible writers and collaborators and friends and such generous um, artists. And um, Charlie Evans Sims is one of my favorite playwrights. Um, and yeah, just her, her shows have like really resonated with me. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people. <laughs> um, Abigail Jean Baptiste is a director that I really admire. Um, also Christina Angeles, who I mentioned earlier on in this, uh, in this call. So there's some extraordinary people who are working right now. Um, Josiah, obviously, who has like really ushered forth this world in such a collaborative and stunning way. Um, but I feel so grateful for like lots of people in my community at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, theater people are the best people, right? Honestly, <laughs> it's so, there's so much space and so much like, yeah, just all the things we're talking about space, kindness, breath. Like there's so much of that, especially with the people like who are out here, like trying to, you know, imagine new worlds, like for folks on the margins, uh, who have been on the margins, um, of all these systems and, and things like that. So I'm really thrilled. 
Is there any way that you could take us out with, with a line from the play? Would you be willing to? Yeah, let me think of one. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm just going to correct myself. I would say in March 6th before, but runs through March 5th. Um, and we'll make sure that that's accurate. Sorry, what did you say? I was saying that I had misspoken earlier. The Amani runs through March 5th, not through March 6th, as I previously okay. said. As we we yes, discovered during this, this this podcast, my eyes play tricks on me sometimes when I'm looking at websites. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, here is one line that is one of my favorites. Um, Denise Manning is playing Amani, and she says she has this line in um, her big speech near the end of the play where she is really taking up space um, and allowing herself to be in the world and claiming what the future means um, for her. And she says this line where she says, on my ship, I need food enough for a billion years, water too. I need no rules about love or gender on my ship nor in my outer space, nothing to box me in, free from all conceptions about who I ought to be, free from all labels seek to contain me, simply Amani. Chills. Just chills. <laughs> so folks, if you are able, please go see Avani. I wish I I'm going to I'm going to make sure that we have all the information in the episode description. AK Payne, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Yeah, thank you so much. And I think we're also we have like live streaming tickets, I believe. So people can watch it in other places as well. So yeah, Sweet. thank you. We'll definitely be doing that then. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Congratulations and break a leg. Thank you. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Woodzik. This episode of the podcast was edited by CJ Higgins and distributed by American Theatre Magazine. If you like what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe. Tune in each month for new interviews with artists and cultural trailblazers.